all, this is a, this is a bit of a bonus episode, uh, kind of tagging along the series that I just did on this, the modern social justice movement. And, uh, and hopefully my plan is that this is the bonus episode that will uh, get me off of this topic once and for all, having put a lot of stuff out there in writing out uh, on the on the blog and then and then putting it all into podcast form as well so here's what we're going to do we're talking about we're going to talk about critical race theory something that uh surely you've never heard of no one's talking about um no you've heard of critical race theory it's really um uh the I, I could probably say the driving shaping force behind so much of the modern social justice movement though it's not the the sole uh force there's there's a, a lot of uh different theories and ideas that are shaping and driving uh the modern social justice movement um and so uh what what i'm going to do what this episode is going to be and there'll be a corresponding blog to it uh i'm gonna we're going to talk about critical race theory um and the way we're going to do it is in a response and really a summary and response to uh, the book critical race theory in introduction um as an important preface, let me say this about the book. As a summary introduction to uh, CRT, uh, the book highlights pretty regularly, I would say, kind of throughout the, the book from beginning to end, where different uh, critical race theorists can agree and disagree. Okay, so the book doesn't say, here's what CRT is, black and white, nobody disagrees. But within the world of CRT, there is uh, agreement and there's uh, disagreement, okay? So this whole review and summary is, this is what it's trying to do. I wanna try to highlight the basic core big tenets of CRT, um, especially uh, the ideas of CRT that have made their way out of the academy um, and and the, the legal world and are now increasingly being embraced on the ground in in just popular culture popular normal everyday society that's really what i want to try to highlight and bring out to say here's what crt is and i think that as we do this what you're gonna find is that you probably already knew quite a bit about what crt is about without ever having read it Uh, this was honestly one of the most surprising things reading this book uh, was that what you constantly hear out there is CRT is not this scary boogeyman, um, uh, and and also if you've never you know read the direct text um, uh, out of the CRT world, then you don't know anything about it. And I mean, you'll even see people refuse to even try to define and summarize CRT, which is all weird and to me smoke. Where I start looking for a fire, but one of the most surprising things about reading this book was I said, man, I that 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 was my assumption. I mean. So much of CRT you probably know about because it is it is so uh, it is it has made its way on the ground in the modern social justice movement and so so many of the the popular ideas in social justice theory um, as uh, that term uh, I think coined by uh, the authors of cynical theory cynical theories um, or cynical theory uh, um, uh, so many of those ideas well they they it's like, oh yeah, that, that idea, I knew that that was an idea of the modern social justice movement. And sure enough, that comes straight from CRT. Okay. So there is disagreement in the, the world of CRT, but, uh, I want to try to highlight the core big ideas and tenets, especially those that are embraced on the ground. Uh, the book critical race theory and introduction argues that CRT is about applying interpretations about society 
as it relates to race and racism specifically to the world of law. So kind of looking at society, considering something like intersectionality, and, and then applying it specifically to the world of law. So CRT is the result of applying, quote, tools of critical theory to the law, end quote. That's from the, uh, I think, uh, preface to the book. Um, the goal is to, quote, reveal and challenge the practices of subordination facilitated and permitted by legal discourse and legal institutions, end quote. In other words, CRT is about identifying where and how people are being oppressed, if I could summarize it in my own words, by racism in particular, um, uh, and, and especially in the world of legal discourse and legal institutions. Uh, quote, criti- critical race theory not only dares to treat race as central to the law and policy of the United States, it dares to look beyond the popular belief that getting rid of racism means simply getting rid of ignorance and encouraging everyone to get along. Uh, racism is part of the structure of legal institutions, end quote. In other words, again, Listen uh, how um, w- w- what an in, uh, intentional, very sweeping statement this is. Critical race theory uh, treats race as central to the law and policy of the United States, of the entire nation. Okay, It's a part of the structure of legal institutions. However, what I saw very clearly in the book was that the world of CRT is not merely about or solely connected to what happens in the world of law. Because you might hear that and go, well, well, if it's just about the, 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 the legal world, like how in the world has anyone else even heard of it outside of the legal world? In the book, it is very clear that CRT is interested in all of society uh, as it pertains especially to race and racism. Quote, the critical race theory movement is a collection of activists and scholars engaged in studying and transforming the relationship among race, racism, and power, end quote. And CRT posits that, quote, racism is ordinary, end quote, and the, quote, usual way society does business, the common everyday experience of most people of color in this country, end quote. So CRT, uh, CRT says that, quote, racism is embedded in our thought processes and social structures, end quote. And it's embedded so deeply, that's the word they use so deeply, that the, quote, ordinary business of society will keep minorities in subordinate positions, end quote. If you, if you listen to any of my podcasts, read anything I've put out there, this is, this is exactly what you would think it would be. CRT is saying that racism is the ordinary way we do life here in America. It is we live, eat, breathe, sleep racism. We And to, to broaden it, really, because CRT really goes beyond uh, just race and racism, we live, eat, breathe, sleep oppression in this country. Um, again, if you've listened to anything, read anything, you go, oh, that, that makes sense. That's what so many of the leading voices and leading books are saying as well, that race, uh, racism um, is just embedded every, in, in how we think, in our subconscious, in how we think, how we do business, how we how we pick where to go eat lunch. Um, it is everywhere. It's in everything. It's how we operate. Now, as the ordinary business of society, racism is largely invisible. Um, it is said to be, quote, pervasive, systematic, and deeply ingrained. And if we take this perspective, uh, I added the and, if we take this perspective, then no white member of society seems quite so innocent, end quote. CRT builds on uh, feminism's insights into the, quote, unseen, largely invisible collections of patterns and habits, end quote. In other words, racism today 
is a collection of invisible patterns, invisible habits. It's in our thinking. It's in our subconscious. We can't even see it, identify it. It's just the way American life works. Um, Now, you might think at this point, surely America seems to have made progress forward in doing away with racism. Uh, Everything I just said seems to say, well, no progress has been made, but it's surely it seems obvious that progress has been made. What is, how, how do we figure that out? CRT theorizes that progress has not really been made at all, um, but rather racism has just morphed. And there's debate in the world about CRT, about progress and certain pivotal moments of progress and things like that. Um, even some of the most pivotal moments of progress, though, are actually considered racism by some uh, critical race theorists. Um, it's just racism working in more deceitful ways, trying to look like it's not racism, but it really is. Um, and this is because the, quote, dominant group uh, has, quote, little incentive to eradicate it, end quote. Uh, another quote from the book, culture replicates itself forever. In other words, the dominant group has little incentive, uh, really, I'm not sure what the incentive at all would be in this view to eradicate it. And so it's really never gone away. The dominant group has just been able to be more deceitful in its racism. So what are examples from the book of the racism that is the, quote, ordinary business of society? Um, uh, It appears from my reading of the book, there's no limit to what might qualify as racist behavior in the world of CRT. Um, For instance, uh, at one point, the book um, uh, identifies sees a problem uh, with someone who's maybe never seen a Mexican, uh, except for maybe cartoon characters that they say wear sombreros and and syrups. Um, And thus that person doesn't know how Mexicans actually dress. Um, That is one of the, I mean, in a fairly short book, that is one of the examples they use of, of the problem of society regarding, you know, I guess race, racism, discrimination, things like that. I am not sure what's wrong with the sombrero. Uh, apparently there's something wrong with thinking that, I guess, Mexicans wear sombreros. I don't know what that problem is. Um, rather than chalking that kind of thing up to limited knowledge, like maybe just some people have limited knowledge of world cultures and how other people dress in other nations, CRT wants to read into that some kind of discrimination or racism or oppression of somehow. Because um, again, apparently there's something wrong with thinking someone wears a sombrero. Um it seems there's almost limitless examples of what racism looks like and oppression looks like because that's that's one of them. Again, rather than chalking that up to hey, I don't I don't know, really know how they dress in in many nations. You know, I don't I don't know. I'm not well versed in a lot of different cultures, and maybe some of my only exposure might be literally one movie. Um, so uh, again, I don't think that's an oppressive racist thing. I think it's just just limited knowledge. Uh, the logic of CRT here is probably going to be very inconsistent. For instance, for me, traveling, doing, I've done a, a decent amount of international travel um, and totally normal, totally normal to tell someone I'm from Texas and for them to absolutely think we still ride horses for daily travel. Like haven't discovered cars yet, still ride horses, totally normal. I've never once thought, man, that's offensive, oppressive, racist, discrimination. I just chalk it up to like, I don't expect people across the world to know that uh, that we've kind of done away with the the horse thing um, for normal travel. I mean, I I guarantee I, I would bet good money that there are people still in America who still think we ride horses in Texas and we just we reject cars. Um, I would consider that totally normal, just a lack of of 
multicultural, cross-cultural knowledge. No big deal. Uh, so CRT seems to know few bounds when uncovering racism. That's the big idea. CRT focus, focuses on things like emotions and the unconscious. CRT says racism is so complex, racism is so complex that even one's, quote, coldness or, quote, smiles or, quote, kindness towards another could really just be racism. Now, here's where this gets really, in my opinion, very uh, dangerous. Um, when, when we start to say things like someone's coldness could be racist, on the one hand, it's absolutely correct that, that a racist person, and racism still alive and well, and there are still racists who are alive and well, a racist could be cold towards another person because they're racist. However, the subtlety of CRT, especially or at least how it's being practiced on the ground, seems to be the idea that coldness in and of itself or a smile or a lack of a smile or kindness or lack thereof in and of itself can be cl- can concluded to be racist. So no other evidence needed, no the coldness in and of itself is is considered and deemed uh, racist. Um, in this vein, uh, the, in, the world of CRT is actively debating the idea of free speech because perhaps, I mean, here, here's what's so frightening about the prospect of, of how this world is debating free speech is if someone's coldness towards another person can be considered racist without evidence, which I think is, is what CRT is doing, um, what words or phrases or ideas, what communication will CRT soon can soon condemn as racist, even though there's no evidence of racism um, beyond the word itself, you know, um, or or using a particular word or phrase that in and of itself is not racist whatsoever, but it is somehow now deemed racist. Uh, and so, so I, I see a lot of problems there leading to restricting. Uh, taking away the right to free speech. Um, in the end, if there is a rock, here's kind of summary point. If there's a rock, CRT seems to assume racism is under it and and begins the process of overturning it. Um, this is why I think CRT is actively seeking to invent new categories and new terms, new language that's explicit from the book in order to speak about all these different rocks that racism uh, could be hiding under. So CRT is not limited to just matters of race. Uh, but really any and all power reality. So you've probably heard people talk about race is really about power. And so that really expands the horizon for CRT, where CRT concerns itself with almost anything and everything that has to do with what it interprets as oppression, the powerful oppressing the weak. Um, therefore, the CRT movement has no bounds and can influence and speak to anything, as everything in the world of CRT is classified in terms of oppressed and oppressive. Um So this is from the book, quote, although CRT began as a movement in the law, it has rapidly spread beyond that discipline. Today, many scholars in the field of education use CRT's ideas to understand issues of school discipline and hierarchy, high stakes testing. So you can think of like the SAT uh, and alternative and charter schools, end quote. So you see there, CRT concerns itself with a lot of anything that might have to do with any kind of, I mean, I've seen this hierarchy thing come up recently, even in the past week, that maybe hierarchy in and of itself um, is is bad and, uh, and really just about oppression. So from the book, CRT concerns itself with things like education, immigration, national security, and climate change. Those are all uh, examples from the book, uh, things that are, are kind of on the radar of CRT in some way or another. The way CRT seeks to substantiate itself 
kind of this idea that racism is everywhere, um, and and really more broadly speaking, these these oppressive power structures are everywhere is through personal narrative. So now I find irony here that while focusing on whole systems and whole people groups, CRT wants to rely heavily on individual narratives and subjective experiences to prove itself to be true. The book does this. The book itself practices this by often opening um, opening chapters with stories, sometimes it made up stories, imaginary story, stories. Um, and then at one point they state that, one of the one of the points they try to make is that two people can quote put radically different interpretations in quote on quote evidence. So the idea is you could take an event and then two people can look at it in totally different perspectives in totally different ways and interpret the evidence in two totally different ways, which is of course um, uh, true. But point there is that that the book often starts and practices the the, the power of narrative with these kind of individual stories and, and oftentimes imaginary made up ones. Uh, quote, critical race theories theorists have built on everyday experiences with perspective, viewpoint, and the power of stories and persuasion to come to a deeper understanding of, a, of how Americans see race. So stories, someone's story, someone's narrative, someone's interpretations of things um, is, is incredibly important to the world of CRT for substantiating um, its ideas and, and getting its activism and scholarship done. Uh, again, throughout the book, this, this storytelling is practiced. Oddly, sometimes imaginary scenarios are created to make real life points. It's kind of strange at points how the book does it. Um, uh, in, for instance, in describing the, the reality of white privilege, the book imagines a scenario and explains how scholars describe and think about white right white privilege rather than recounting really concrete ways and in, in ways uh ways in which white privilege actually works it's real strange kind of i think it was in towards the middle of the book um the book begins with an imaginary scenario and then offers two ways of interpreting it again practicing this idea of the importance of narrative and interpretation of of stories and narratives um and, and ultimately what it's about is about quote making sense making sense in quote of these kinds of events and discourses okay so for instance the book at one point makes sense of merchants who smile you know someone who maybe smiles at another person or doesn't or something um they they make sense of it by saying well that could be the working of the workings of white privilege um, usually making sense of something means race and racism are said to be core to that incident and that event in some form or fashion. So the, the, the question inevitably, inevitably rises, arises, whose narrative matters, whose story matters, whose interpretation matters. CRT says this quote, minority status brings with it a presumed competence to speak about race and racism end quote. So Therefore, quote, the legal storytelling movement urges black and brown writers to recount their experiences with racism in the legal system and to apply their own unique perspectives to assess laws masters, laws master narratives, end quote. In other words, the stories of the oppressors, which in, in this world we're talking about white people, do not really matter in the end because, quote, the dominant racial group cannot easily grasp what it is like to be non-white, end quote. Only the stories of the oppressed, and in this world, if we're getting real specific, that's particularly non-white people matter. 
um, or I should say, I maybe all the stories maybe matter, but the one that that ultimately is the one deemed true is going to be the story of the victim or the story of the oppressed, the subjective narrative of that person. Here's the deal: a person's story is vital, of course. However, in the world of CRT, stories do not lead necessarily, at least from what it seems to me, do not lead to more investigation to find evidence. Stories are the evidence. Um, Someone's story, someone's narrative, someone's interpretation, so long as it comes from the oppressed person or group, is the evidence. Case closed. Thus, quote, stories can name a type of discrimination, like microaggressions, unconscious discrimination, or structural racism, and once named, it can be combated, end quote. Notice, I, I find that quote fascinating because it says this, a story can name a discrimination and then we can start combating it. Notice the immediate move from storytelling, an individual subjective interpretation, right to combat. In other words, it's assumed that the story is correct because it came from an oppressed person or group, allegedly, or victim, allegedly, the guilty verdict is already pronounced and it's time to fight and, 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 and do combat. This seems to be why it's normal for the book itself to shy away from concrete data and evidence and lean on things like, quote, what some writers believe, uh, end quote, or what was, quote, likely, end quote, uh, in a situation, or what some, quote, scholars write, end quote. This is, that, that, I wasn't even looking for that kind of language, but it kept hitting me again and again throughout the book that it would say, some writers believe, you know, so-and-so, or this is what likely uh, was happening, or some scholars write so-and-so, and it was, and oftentimes I thought, is that it? Is that all that's required to make these sweeping significant statements as some writers believe, some scholars have written? The impression from the book is that something is true so long as a non-white person or a scholar said it is. Um, that again, that, that's kind of the overall impression that, well, this scholar, some scholars write this, uh, but I'm not really led to the background data or concrete evidence of why that scholar wrote that. Um, it, it seems that the, the narrative, the subjective narrative of someone who can classify as oppressed or a victim, so you could think about intersectionality here, that, that's the narrative that matters. That's the narrative that trumps. That's the narrative that that gets deemed true. The ultimate problem with this way of substantiating such a radical worldview, such a sweeping worldview, concerns assumptions and reinterpretation. For example, in an imaginary scenario about a man being rude to um, and speaking in a superior manner to a beggar in the book, um, th- again, this is the, this is the story, the, the book talks about this beggar and, and a man is mean uh, or, or rude to the beggar. The author assumes in the imaginary scenario the presence of not just classism, but also racism and sexism. And when I read it, I thought, well, where did the racism and sexism come from? Like even in this imaginary scenario, I can't figure out where's the racism and the sexism. So I'm asking, can we level accusations like sexist, racist, and classist based merely on what we think is going on in someone's mind, heart, and subconscious? CRT seems to think so. There's an assumption that it's already there. It's already going on in your subconscious. We already know that. It it becomes very circular. Uh, In light of the arguments in the book, um, the author's question, seemingly with hope, quote, might critical race theory one day diffuse into the atmosphere like air 
so that we hardly are aware of it, so, so that we are hardly aware of it anymore, end quote. Some people will say things like CRT is just the, kind of this, this little tool to inspect one aspect of life, and you can kind of pick it up and put it down, and everything I've read could not be more the opposite. Right there, what, what you're reading is it's like air. It's like the air we breathe. That is the sweeping nature of CRT. It is a worldview that wants to change absolutely everything about how we think about absolutely everything. Um, it is said often that CRT is just a single tool to address a single issue. However, CRT offers a comprehensive worldview. Um, it, is, it is just in, in, inherently not something that can be used at other times, but not at others. It, it seems to want to actively change nearly everything about everything. Uh, in this focus on race, racism, power, and oppression, CRT is not focused on sinful hearts producing racism. Rather, quotes, critical race theory not only dares to treat race as central to the law and policy of the United States, it dares to look beyond the popular belief that getting rid of racism means simply getting rid of ignorance and encouraging everyone to get along. No, racism is part of the structure of legal institutions. End quote. In other words, the point here is not to just have people get along and not be racist personally. No, racism is in, it's in the structure of legal institutions. It's in the systems and ways of life that, that we could all be morally perfect, pure people, and yet racism would still be upheld and operative. CRT is focused on structure, systems, rules, unwritten rules, and so on. Okay, again, if you've listened to my podcast on this stuff, you've read my stuff I've put out there, this makes perfect sense. This is what all the leading literature is saying. It's This is really not about individual people. It's not about people's hearts. It's not about people's intentions. It is about, oftentimes said very vaguely, processes, systems, rules, unwritten rules. For example, CRT takes up issue with capitalism. CRT questions if, quote, something inerrant in the nature of our capitalist system uh, produces poverty and class segregation, end quote, and thus our Thus, quote, our attitudes toward them, uh, end quote, are irrelevant. So our attitude, our heart is irrelevant if capitalism itself is just racist and oppressive. It's explicitly clear that CRT is about nothing less than revolutionary change to American society and government. CRT, quote, questions the very foundations of the liberal order, including equality theory, enlightenment, rationalism, and neutral principles of constitutional law, end quote. CRT, quote, contains an activist dimension. It tries not, to, not only to understand our social situation, but to change it, end quote, and to, quote, transform it for the better, end quote. This is perhaps why the author praises scholars having, quote, lively exchanges with Marxist scholars, end quote, wishing... That was something on the American scene. If you've ever heard anybody say, oh, that all the stuff about Marxism and the talk of Marxists is just this like um, boogeyman that's not real, that CRT has nothing to do with Marxism and the modern social justice movement has nothing to do with Marxism, do not believe it for one second. Explicitly in this book, um, uh, the authors say, we need to be having lively exchanges with Marxist scholars. Um. In the end, CRT is about, a, quote, aggressive, color-conscious efforts to change the way things are, end quote. CRT is about reconsidering our concepts of equality, civil rights, national security, the border, e essentially everything. In my opinion, for me, essentially everything. 
So in other words, it seems there's nothing about America that CRT is not interested in possibly changing. That's that's my summary opinion of, of what I see going on. Um, in the conclusion of the book, uh, the authors look to the future of America and, um, and to ask what it's going to look like in America and what's about to happen. And what they say really reveals the goal of CRT. They ask... Quote, will this power shift, this power shift from the dominant group to the the not dominant group as they understand it, will this power shift occur peacefully or only after a long struggle, end quote? In other words, there's a dominant group. They would say whites hold oppressive power over non-whites, but a power shift is the goal. A power shift is coming. And the question is, will it happen peacefully or not peacefully? They don't use the word violent or force. Uh, but I'm not sure how else to think of like the opposite of peaceful. Uh, on the other hand, uh, the authors say the shift may happen uh, peacefully. On the one hand, they say peacefully. On the other hand, they say that, quote, the white establishment may res- I don't know what they mean by white establishment. I don't know if they just mean like white people. I don't know if they mean kind of like a, I don't know what they mean. The white establishment may resist an orderly progression toward power sharing as happened in South Africa. The change may be convulsive and cataclysmic, end quote. In other words, the white, the white establishment may resist and cause a shift that's not peaceful. Uh, the book continues, quote, if so, critical theorists and activists will need to provide criminal defense for resistance movements and activists, end quote. So here, the book seems to pre- be preparing uh, for how to best work through a non-peaceful trans of uh, transfer of power. Now, again, they don't use uh, uh, violent or forceful or something like that, but it's the only way I really know how to, like uh, a peaceful shift or a not peaceful shift, in my opinion, is a, is a shift of force and power and, and ultimately uh, violence. Part of the way the CRT movement will bring about this shift in power is through boycotting. Um, quote, those efforts will include measures such as economic boycotts aimed at increasing minority representation in the media, end quote. End quote. This discriminatory, discriminatory be- behavior is not about boycotting, notice this, it's not about boycotting criminal institutions, but just ordinary run-of-the-mill businesses, organizations, politicians who may be upstanding organizations and citizens. Um, but it's based on the boycotting of them or those things is based on their skin color or some other oppressed category. They're, they're kind of seen, those people or businesses are seen as the oppressors in the system. And so they need to be boycotted. Uh, the CRT movement will also put forward measures to assure certain mayors, senators, members of Congress are all people of, of color. Um, these are things that, that the book is saying the CRT movement, this activist movement is going to seek to seek to do um, in, in interesting ways. I mean, there, there, there are things about uh, voting um, to be able to give people more than one vote for, um, for uh, someone uh, up for election of some kind and to be able to give them maybe 10 votes uh, to assure that someone with a particular skin color uh, wins. Um, the ultimate goal of this shift transfer, transfer or revolution is equity, not equality. For CRT, there's a problem with merely, quote, affording everyone equality of opportunity, end quote. That, 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 there's a problem with, with merely affording everyone the equality of opportunity. Rather, 
than being able to, quote, assure equality of results, end quote. In other words, CRT wants to assure everyone reaches the same place. And we can maybe say the same place of success. Uh, CRT takes issue with the mere idea of affording everyone equality of opportunity. Rather, we need to assure equality of results because for CRT, fairness means equal, equal results. Again, this makes sense of why the book praises scholars having lively exchanges with Marxist scholars. When you seem to see the world as there are the oppressed and the oppressors, and the oppressed need to be assured, um, not just equal opportunity, but, but equal results. The revolution that CRT wants to enact is not as innocent as it wants to seem. Um, I found this interesting in responding to accusations of, quote, reverse discrimination, end quote. The book argues that perhaps white people deserve to be discriminated against. They say this, quote, if we take this perspective, then no white member of society seems quite so innocent, end quote. In other words, rather than denouncing discrimination or reverse discrimination, or something like that, based on skin color, CRT takes the perspective that, well, well, maybe white people are not so innocent, <clears throat> and thus discrimination against white people may be thoroughly, thoroughly justified. CRT shares the exact I- ideology it rightly denounces. It rightly denounces discrimination and partiality based on skin color. CRT rightly denounces racism and partiality, but then immediately embraces those ideologies as tools for righteousness and morality. And in the end, CRT looks towards a utopia where all people end up in the exact same place through the unlikely means of discrimination and partiality. Now, in conclusion, why does this matter? Why would I take time to do this as a Christian pastor? Uh, Why does this matter? Really, I would answer that question first by saying, go and listen to my episode. I think it's titled A Biblical Perspective on Wokeness. It's one of the most recent ones. Um, that gets into the biblical perspective on this whole worldview. But let me say this right now, just to, to on this episode to, to kind of summarize it, because Christians should not embrace the ideologies that birth racism, which is ultimately the roots of uh, the root of partiality. Christians shouldn't embrace uh, a worldview that lacks such substantiation that's built so much on, well, theory and assumption. And because... Uh, the gospel, why do I have issue? Why does this stuff matter? Why do I have such issue with it? Because the gospel is being compromised through all sorts of complexities wrapped up in all of this. As this worldview is being embraced by the church, the gospel is, I believe, uh, I see being compromised through all sorts of ways and in, in all of the complexities wrapped up in all of this. Read this quote from R.C. Sproul, and I'll end with this. <clears throat> Quote, God has chosen to save the world through the foolishness of preaching the gospel. The power is in the gospel, and the gospel has a certain required specific content. It has to do with the person and work of Christ who came as our Redeemer. He bore our sins on the cross, was raised for our justification, and promises that all who put their trust in him will participate completely in the inheritance that the Father gives to him, which is by faith. That is what we should be preaching. That is where the power is. The preaching of the gospel has been at the forefront of every revival in church history that has made, that has had an impact on the world.